and deacon do tend in a certain direction in the New Testament, namely in the direction of physical, providing for physical or material needs or what we might call table service. So, a few examples. Um, when Jesus got done being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, it says the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were deaconing him. Then in Matthew chapter 8, when Peter's mother-in-law is healed, it says that Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her, and she rose and began to deacon him. And then the story of Mary and Martha, when, Martha's, uh, when Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, while Martha is in a kitchen trying to get everything done, Martha was distracted with much deaconing. You can see that the tendency is toward table service, dealing with material, uh, material needs. Now, while few if any of these scriptures we've looked at so far deal with the office of deacon in the church, the fact that the office of deacon in the church is called deacon tells us something, right? It tells us that the ministry to be done by those holding the office of deacon is a ministry in which they're fundamentally servants, in which they give themselves, not exclusively, but primarily to supplying material needs, In the passage we've already opened to, Acts 6, we may have here the story of the birth of the office of a deacon. So let's take a look. Open to it if you haven't yet. Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. I did preach this passage a little over two years ago, November 2017, in a sermon called Empowered to Serve. In that sermon, I was able to do what I'm not going to be able to do today, which is unfold this whole passage Um, But that's still on the website. You can go back and look at that. What we're going to look at now as I read this text is I want you to look for what is the purpose of this team of deacons or proto-deacons that's being formed? What's the purpose of that team? Follow along with me. Acts chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 6 at first. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily deaconing. That's literally the word there, the daily distribution, the daily deaconing. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, to deacon tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves, the apostles say, to prayer and to the deaconing of the word. Ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So much there, we're going to need to limit our explanation to, exploration to the, how the work of this newly formed team is being described here. What are they supposed to be doing? So in verse 1, we have a clue. What's being done is the daily distribution, the daily deaconing. It seems like in the early church here in Jerusalem, there was a, every day they would distribute food to the widows in their midst, and the Greek-speaking widows were being left out. So the complaint gets back to the 12 apostles, but the way they see it, this isn't what they're called to spend their time doing, dealing with an issue like this. And they explain why 
by categorizing two types of ministry. Do you see that in verse 2? They contrast preaching the word of God and serving tables. Preaching the word of God and deaconing tables, right? Um, And what they say is that it's not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to do the work of deaconing tables. Um, Not because they're above serving tables, but because they don't believe that that that's what's best for the church, is for them to be prioritizing their time that way. What do they see? As their focus, we see that in verse 4. They believe their focus is to be to devote themselves to prayer and to the deaconing of the word. So we can see there now some unfolding of how they envision the situation. They envision two types of deaconing. It's all service, right? But there's a table service sort of deaconing and a word sort of deaconing in their minds. And in their minds, they're called to focus their energies on the word sort of deaconing. And they believe that the church will best honor God if the apostles devote themselves to the word sort of deaconing and they raise up others to come along and lead the work of the table service sort of deaconing. And we can see in verse 7 that they're right about that. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What that means is that when people get in their correct roles, the widows are being taken care of better than they had been before. And since the apostles aren't distracted from the ministry of the word, the mission is being carried out, as we would hope that it might be. Maybe this is like when I join uh, my friend Adam, who played college basketball for a pickup game at a gym. Okay? When we played pickup basketball together, I could shoot the ball, but he played college basketball, and he's a lot better shooter than I am. So when we play... I have the mindset that I really want to win more than I want to shoot, and so I'm going to focus my energy on what I can do. I'm going to play good defense and find a way to get the ball in his hands so he can take the shots, right? And that's how we tend to win more. And I wonder if it's like that with the church, that the church wins, so to speak. The church functions in a way that's more honoring to God when we play our roles and lean into our roles, too. It did in Acts 6, right? And I think it would for us, too. But... But here's the question as we think about it in our own day. In Acts 6, these are apostles that are having this, leading this conversation. <clears throat> Since that first generation, those apostles have died off. Who today is responsible for what the apostles used to be responsible for? For focusing on the ministry of the word and prayer. Who has that duty been given over to? Any, you can call it out. The elders, right? That's what we talked about last week, exactly, right? That we can see it even before that first generation of apostles died in the New Testament scriptures, that that's where the elders step into in local churches, that they are to focus their time on shepherding, which is a heavily word and prayer focused sort of ministry, that the elders of a church are to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. So in the New Testament, we end up having these two permanent offices, elders and deacons, and if we were to explain the difference Uh, succinctly, we might say that the elders focus themselves on the ministry of the word and prayer, while the deacons focus themselves on ministry to physical and tangible needs. Now, we don't want to draw a bright line between those two as if it's always super clear, right? There's some overlap there. It's not as though everybody's needs at any given moment are either physical and tangible or, or spiritual, However, that's the tendency of how these things tend to break down, that the deacons tend to lead any number of ministries 
that will allow the elders to be freed up to focus their time on the ministry of the word and prayer. We see it in Acts 6, right? It was bread distribution. But there's no reason in the New Testament to think that the only thing deacons ever did was bread distribution. Rather, it seems more likely that they uh, were doing any, any number of physical, tangible type of ministries to free up the elders to be more effective in their ministry of the word. What about in our area, though? Here where we live, not many of us, some of us do, not many of us are coming face-to-face with poverty or severe physical, tangible, material need, hunger, on an everyday basis, either inside the church or outside the church. So what physical or tangible needs might we have in mind here at North Sub that deacons would take care of? or address well first we do have a food ministry right because there are some among us whose resources are severely limited and who benefit from that ministry but that ministry would not happen without people deaconing so to speak in that food ministry we have a meet a need fund as you know that takes care of acute needs in our congregation unexpected bills emergency situations those funds would not be administered to those who need it unless there were folks deaconing to administer those funds faithfully. We have incredible facilities. We've been blessed with an, an awesome building and grounds, right? Nothing more tangible than buildings, right? However, those buildings are constantly needing, these, these grounds are constantly needing attention. And they would not be kept up without people deaconing to use the biblical language for it, to keep up our buildings. We could keep going on just looking around us, looking at the lights and the wires and the mics and the projectors and speakers, all tangible, physical things that wouldn't look or sound good if there weren't people deaconing to make sure that those things are happening. We could go on. Many such ministries are taking place around our church. But at present, we haven't been identifying Many of these ministers, as deacons in our church, um, those who are deaconing, many of them aren't actually called deacons. Our present deacons, that we do call deacons, are doing exactly what Scripture calls them to um, here. However, um, there are others doing deacon type of work in the way Scripture presents it who aren't presently deacons. So... As the elders have been studying this, as we've been praying about this since the fall, as we've been discussing together, we have agreed to expand the diaconate here at North Sub to bring on new deacons. Let me summarize three reasons why. First, for accountability. As ministries, physical, tangible ministries mostly, are being run not by deacons but by others, we aren't always connected to those folks and we don't always know what's happening in those ministries. Second, qualifications. When ministries aren't run by deacons, we can't point to a scripture and say, these are the biblical qualifications to lead X ministry. Right? And third, support. When ministries aren't run by deacons and we're not connecting with them on a regular basis, we have a hard time supporting and equipping them to effectively carry out the ministries that they are leading. Most of all, the reason we're expanding our diaconate is because we want to conform ourselves more closely to the biblical pattern. That's been the theme of this whole series. That throughout this series, we want to be looking at what we're doing as a church and think, 
how could we be doing church in a way that better, even more closely aligns us with the word? Um, and we think expanding the diaconate and freeing up the elders more for some of the ministry of the word and prayer that they're called to will enable us to do that. Now, this is a work in process of how this is actually going to work out. Um, but in the coming months, you will see new deacons being brought on. Um, it won't be a set number, but it'll be more than we have now. We'll be looking for qualified people leading any number of ministries in the church, especially those ministries that deal with physical or tangible needs. Our current deacons will be called our care and compassion deacons. They'll continue doing exactly what they're doing and focus their attention on people who need care, encouragement, financial help. And we could lump all that under the realm, under the heading of care and compassion. But we also might have, alongside those deacons, some new deacons. Maybe the director of global outreach becomes the global outreach deacon. Maybe the leader of the AV tech team becomes the tech deacon. Maybe the leader of the facilities team becomes the facilities deacon. Leader of security team becomes securities deacon. You get the idea. At some churches, all of those ministries, all those roles are filled by staff. They pay people to do all those things. Um, Even if we wanted staff to do all those things at North Sub, we wouldn't be able to pay staff to do all those things. But we're actually okay with that. Because in a healthy church, we believe that people aren't sitting on the sidelines watching staff do the work. Lay people are being deployed to use their gifts in the work of ministry. That's the longest uh, part of our sermon today by far, looking at what deacons do. But of course, what deacons do is going to be intimately connected to who they are. So let's move to that now, who deacons are. In order to look at that, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'd turn there with me. We looked at the first part of 1 Timothy 3 last week, so as you're turning there, let me remind you those first seven verses were about the qualifications for elders. And now in verse 8, Paul turns his attention to addressing qualifications for deacons, the other major office in the church. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. That means honorable, not flippant but rather earnest about life. Deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued. What does it mean to be double-tongued? Well, if someone walks away from, uh, from every conversation with you thinking that you agree with them, then you may be slipping into being a double-tongued sort of person. A double-tongued sort of person will say what makes this person happy, and then they might say the opposite thing to make this person happy in a different setting. Not double-tongued. Um, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. In verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What does that mean? It probably means that they have a sincere profession of faith. They're not just going along with the Christian thing because their family did or because they're expected to, but it's real for them, their Christian faith and profession. Verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, we ought to see how someone lives before we entrust them with such a role, right? Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified. We're going to hold on that verse and come back to it in a moment and treat it on its own. Verse 12, it says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. We saw that requirement last week uh, for elders. So these are the qualifications for deacons here in verses 8 through 12, 
These are the people given leadership over the physical, tangible ministries of the church. Zooming out on those qualifications, I want to I offer one big picture observation and then one big picture question regarding all of it. One, the big picture observation is that deacons can be male or female. They can be men or women. We can circle back to verse 11 now, and I'll show you where I'm, why I'm thinking that. Um, before verse 11 and after verse 11, we have qualifications for deacons. Then Paul breaks right in the middle and starts talking about their wives, likewise, must be dignified. But if you see the note there in your Bible, in verse 11, where it says their wives, like, likewise, must be dignified, the note will tell you that that word is actually just the word for women, not wives. Uh, it can be wives, but it can just be women. So grammatically, this could be talking about female deacons, or it could be talking about wives of deacons. Grammatically, you can't tell. So we have to judge in a different way. Um, our church constitution is convinced that this is talking about women deacons, and so we have female deacons here at North Sub. And I'm convinced of the same for at least three reasons. One, in Romans 16.1, we have Phoebe called a deacon. A female uh, Phoebe called a deacon in Romans 16.1. Number two, and more directly in this passage, it would be odd for there to be requirements, qualifications for wives of deacons, but no requirements or qualifications for wives of elders, right? If verse 11 is talking about wives of deacons and what they have to be, then when we look back up to verses 1 through 7, the part about elders, why would there have been nothing about the wives of elders? Are we to believe that Paul had a threshold for what deacons' wives must be, but it was just for elders' wives, it was anything goes? Seems a little bit odd, Right, especially because elders are entrusted with some uh, more private, confidential things than deacons are. Third reason would be that no other commands in the New Testament would be violated by a female serving in a position of a deacon. Um, this isn't a role that involves authoritative teaching. In fact, deacons are those who do other things to free up the elders for the authoritative teaching ministry of the church. For those reasons, I am convinced that verse 11 is addressing qualifications for female deacons. They likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. That's the observation, big picture. A question I have, big picture, on verses 8 through 12 would be something like this. All these are character qualifications. Why would we really need somebody with this kind of character to lead our tech team back in the tech booth, Right? I mean, a good mix is a good mix, right? It's, if it sounds good, it sounds good, right? Some churches will hire somebody, they don't even care if they're a Christian or not, if they can make something sound good back there and make the lights look nice. In response, we might just point back to Acts chapter 6, that passage we started with today, and ask, well, why were those distributing bread required to be filled with the Spirit and wisdom, right? If you were just going to drop the best bread ministry in the world... I might think you just find the most organized, most administratively gifted people, and then you've got a nice little bread ministry. But the apostles didn't think so. They said, no, here's what you go and find for, to run this bread ministry. People of good repute, filled with the Spirit and wisdom. So in our ministries here at North Sub, no matter how practical, practical and tangible, no matter how background, so to speak, they might be, um, 
it's critical that we make sure that these ministries are led by people filled with the Spirit and wisdom who fulfill the qualifications given for deacons here in 1 Timothy 3. After all, these qualifications are not the qualifications of a super-Christian, right? Somebody who's attained some level um, of excellence in Christianity. These are the qualifications of any mature Christian. These are descriptions of any mature believer. So we've seen now what deacons do. We've seen who deacons are. I just want to finish with a brief exploration of five benefits of having a well-functioning group of deacons who meet these qualifications and fulfill these roles that we've seen so far today. Number one, if our deacons are following this pattern, we'll have fewer people on the sidelines. Fewer on the sidelines, more engaged in the work of ministry. Last week, we laid out a vision of eldership in which we made a case for why here at North Sub, eldership is reserved for mature males, right? Spiritually mature males, seasoned men. However, we have an army of women at this church, young men, uh, older men who just aren't gifted in teaching, who have real gifts, yet aren't qualified for those elder positions. We'd be foolish if we didn't do everything in our power to equip and empower those folks to serve in any capacity that the Bible allows them to serve in. We will all be enriched as a result of having fewer people on the sidelines. Number two, there seems to be some sort of personal benefit for those who serve as deacons. Take a look, if you're still open to 1 Timothy 3, at what verse 13 says, as that passage concludes. It says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. That seems to mean maybe that they're esteemed in the eyes of the community and the eyes of God. And also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus, which seems to suggest that as a deacon you, you experience a greater assurance of salvation as a result of serving in that role. So there's personal benefit. There's also unity to be considered in the church. Think back to that Acts 6 story again. At the beginning of the story, there's disunity actually along ethnic lines within the church. But then, at the end of the story, there's unity and the mission keeps advancing. What happened in the middle? A well-oiled deacon team was put together. And that's, in a healthy church, that's one of the functions that deacons can play. As, as, unity, as, as disunity starts to crop up, a well-functioning deacon team can soothe that conflict by what they do in their serving. Number four, meeting of tangible needs. That one's pretty straightforward in Acts 6. The widows are being overlooked before the deacons were formed. They're being fed after the deacons were formed. And then finally, the advancing of the word ministry of the church. Although deacons aren't necessarily engaged directly in this word ministry, they free up the elders to focus on that word ministry, which allows it to keep advancing. Two examples of that here at North Sub. One, I think about the meet and need and financial freedom funds at our church. Our deacons administer that fund, those two funds. And part of what that involves is spending hours with these folks, um, speaking with them, asking questions, um, taking a look into their finances with them, giving counsel. And then, so when an approval comes to my desk, I can spend five minutes looking at all of what they've done and all that hard work that they've done, that great work that they've done, and give approval. Um, I can't imagine if the pastors and elders were having to spend the time to wade in to the, the weeds of all those conversations. We are freed up 
for the ministry of the word as a result of the blessing of the deacons taking care of that. Another second example would be the facilities projects that we're working on right now. Renovating the Parsonage House out back, replacing all this HVAC, right? Massive, massive project. But we have a facilities team led by Ken Bryan who has just been devoting hours and hours to this, right? Getting bids, uh, comparing those bids, filling out spreadsheets, keeping us on a schedule, on a timeline, communicating then with the elders and with the congregation about what's going on, on and on, uh, spending that time. And then on the flip side of it, we've had Lawrence as treasurer figuring out the financing of how we're going to take care of that, coming up with proposals, going to banks, seeing what rates we can get, going to our denominations, seeing how they can help, talking about all number of different possibilities, running spreadsheet after spreadsheet to figure out what's the best way of going about this so that when the elders jump in on the conversation, we can get distilled down their hours and hours and hours of work, and we can spend uh, an efficient amount of time weighing into it and prayerfully making decisions. It's a gift to the church, a great gift to the church, that God has, in his wisdom, set it up in such a way in Scripture that elders and deacons in a church will be serving together in these complementary roles to carry out the mission. So our big idea today is this. Let's advance the mission of the church by raising up and training qualified male and female deacons. Let's advance the mission of the church by raising up and training qualified male and female deacons. We're blessed to have them right now. We're looking to get some more. Um, So this morning, if you are a young, qualified person uh, who's just dipping your toes into ministry at North Sub, come on. There may be a place for you, even in a deacon type of role here in this church. Or maybe you recently became an empty nester or you're about to become an empty nester and you're looking forward to all this traveling the world that you're going to do together, right? That's great. But would you prayerfully consider if maybe God might be calling you to a different use of your time in the coming months and years that maybe you'd serve in even some sort of a deacon role, serving in some ministry in a church with these great years that you have remaining? After all, there's no retirement from Christian ministry, right? You can look through the Bible, you won't find that idea. Um, Rather, well, that said, though, there's a season in our lives to serve full throttle, and there's a season in our lives to serve at a more modest pace, right? And for some in our church, it's hard for me to admit, but I need to come to grips with it, health factors, any number of reasons mean that it is time that we let them pass the baton to others after they've served so faithfully. And so the question this morning is who's ready to take that handoff? When I was 26 years old, the elders at my church in Florida tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, Tim, we'd like you to serve as a deacon. I was a high school teacher and just happily serving in the church, but I had no idea what that meant to serve as a deacon. Uh, But I did, and that season of life played a major part in clarifying my calling and uh, launching me into pastoral ministry. So it's okay this morning if you don't know what you would do as a deacon uh, or in a deacon type of role. We have pastors and elders who, and staff who can train you and who want to train you, um, but we want to advance the mission by raising up folks for roles, deacon roles and deacon-like roles. Uh, maybe a final word. What we've laid out this morning deacon-type service, 
won't appeal to everybody. So for some, it's, I want to be up front. I want to be, I want to have power. I want to have leadership. I want to have a microphone or I don't want anything at all. This deacon type of ministry is not going to appeal to someone like that. Or for somebody else, it's, I work hard all week. When I come on Sunday morning, I want to sit in my seat and be ministered to. This deaconing type of ministry is not going to appeal to that person either. But in neither of those cases does there seem to be tremendous interest in following our Lord Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. If our gratitude for the ransom paid for us isn't currently translating into a humble desire for service, maybe the action step is for us to return to the foot of the cross once again. I'm going to pray, and then our current deacons, male and female, are going to come forward, take a seat up here in these stools. You're going to have a chance to meet them before we go, uh, this team that embodies the attitude of looking not to be served, but to serve. Let me pray, and deacons, come on up. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of serving your church. We thank you that there's a place for all of us to serve whether it's a word sort of service or physical, material, tangible sort of service. We want to be a people who are pouring out out of gratitude for what you did for us. Lord, uh, speak to our hearts, encourage us, uh, quicken our hearts toward a certain opportunity. Uh, And as baton passing happens across various ministries in our church in the coming weeks and months and years, Uh, please raise up new leaders to uh, carry on the faithful work that's been done by this dear family of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.